0: Good morning. Uh, Certainly is good to see all of you this morning. Uh, Definitely appreciate uh, the fact that God keeps giving us opportunities uh, to be and to do better uh, than we have done to live up to the image of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you guys know already that the first king in Israel had a somewhat complicated relationship with the second king. Saul was, of course, the first of the earthly kings that God gave for Israel. uh, And he did not always do what God wanted done. As a consequence of that, God decided to replace him with the man who would be the second king, that is, one David. It's interesting, I say, because there was a period of time in which Saul thought very highly and fondly of David. You'll recall that when Goliath withstood the armies of Israel, there was no one who was willing to go out and face this great champion. But David, a young boy at the time, he was the one who had enough courage, enough confidence, enough trust in God that he was willing to do what needed to be done. He talked with Saul and he went out to face this giant and slayed the giant and slayed many others besides. He was useful to Saul. Perhaps you recall that uh, Saul sometimes had episodes where he was having uh, some difficulty controlling his own spirit and David was useful to him. He would go and he would go and play music for the king to help him to calm himself. And so Saul had some affection for David. But when he faltered, God made it clear that he would have to replace Saul on the throne. And David was the man God said was after his own heart. And once God made that determination, Saul was somewhat concerned about David and what David would do and who David would become. You see, Saul had his own offspring, and so surely he wanted his own children to to sit on the throne after him. Maybe, Maybe he wanted Jonathan to sit on the throne after him. That was his son. The relationship between the two men was somewhat complicated because not only did David have a relationship with Saul, but but he had a relationship with Jonathan also, a very close one, in fact. And so David, the one who God chose to be king after Saul, was somewhat of a threat to Jonathan, the one who Saul would have wanted to be king in his stead. Perhaps you know all of that, but I think it's worth reminding you about it as we go into this particular study together. I want you to... Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 20, and I, I want us to think about a good deal of what we find in this chapter. and that background, the, the sort of complicated relationship between these three men is sort of at the heart of what we're about to go into. Of course, the title, as you can see, is When Your Seat Is Empty, and you've already heard the verse in verse 18 where reference is made to that fact. But I want us to begin I want us to begin at verse number 1. I want us to see what is taking place in the chapter so we can make some sense of what we read in verse number 18. Uh, The first thing we see in this chapter are the circumstances surrounding or the circumstances for David's empty seat. There was going to be an occasion where David's seat was going to be empty. I want us to look beginning at verse number 1 so we can see some of the circumstances for the empty seat. In verse number one, beginning, the Bible says, And David fled from Niath in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, this is Saul's son, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, this is Jonathan speaking to David, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, but that he discloses it unto me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Listen to it. It is not so. In verse number three, David swear moreover and said, your father knows well that, that I have found favor in your eyes. And he says, lest, lest not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved But truly as Jehovah lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan to David, whatever your soul desires, I will even do it for you. And so we're introduced to David's concern here. There was an occasion where David knew that that he was going to be expected to be in the king's company, but but he had some concern about his own safety because the king had tried to kill him on a previous occasion. And and so now he comes to his best friend. He talks to to his brother by covenant and he says to him, listen, what in the world is going on that that your father is seeking to take my life? You, You know the good things. You know the service that I have provided for him, and, and now I'm not even safe in his company. Jonathan has difficulty believing all of this. He says, listen, it's, it's not true. If my father wanted to do you some harm, he would tell me. He's my father, and I've got this relationship with him. He trusts me. If he wanted to do anything, he says, great or small, he would let me know, and he's never said anything like this to me. David says he hasn't told you because he knows your affection for me. He knows our relationship. He knows how close we are, and and he doesn't want you to worry, but I'm telling you for sure there's but a step between me and death. Your father's doing everything he can to to take my life. He fears for his safety. So he has a concern. That's part of the reason that he later says uh, his seat's going to be empty. He's got some concern about his own safety, but I want you to see that he also has a matter of conscience that's weighing on him. Look at verse number 5. In verse number 5, David says to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at even. Today is the first day, and tomorrow is the second, the new moon. I want to go into hiding until the day after that, until the third day. Tomorrow is the new moon. And I know that I'm supposed to be at the king's table. But under these circumstances, I I don't think I'm going to make it. The new moon. The new moon is not as well known to Bible readers perhaps as... uh, A term like the Sabbath. We know that the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. It was was a day of corporate worship and so forth for God's people. They would would gather every Sabbath day. They would worship God and they would enjoy some time of of fellowship together. Uh, The the new moon is not as well known to Bible readers perhaps as the several feasts that we read about. We know that that there were occasions outside of the Sabbath where where Jews would come together to to worship God and to remember some good thing, some some great thing that God had done. They they would remember the many blessings they had experienced by his hand. And so they would gather for those feasts, whether it was the Sabbath day or not. They would gather to to be together and to, to worship God and to remember what God had done for them. The new moon is not as well known to Bible readers, but I want you to know this morning that it was also an occasion where where God's people would gather together to to worship God and to serve him. It was another occasion where, where God's people would spend time in one another's company as they spent time in the presence of God. If you don't mind, look for me, look with me in Numbers chapter 28. In Numbers chapter 28, we see the law of Moses uh, being given, of course, in uh, these books and in Numbers 28, beginning in verse number 11, and listen, there's several places in the Old Testament you can see this. I, I just want you to see a couple. And in Numbers 28 and verse number 11, the Bible says, And in the beginnings of your months you shall offer a burnt offering unto Jehovah, two young bullocks and one ram, seven he-lambs, a year old without blemish, and three-tenth parts of an ephah of fine flour for a meal offering mingled with oil for each bullock. And two tenth parts of the flour for a meal offering mingled with oil and one or for the one ram, and a tenth part of vine flour mingled with oil for a meal offering unto every lamb. For a burnt offering of a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto Jehovah, and their drink offering shall be half a hen of, of wine for a book, and the third part of a hen for the ram, and the fourth part of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of every month throughout the months of the year. And one he goat for a sin offering unto Jehovah, it shall be offered besides the continual burnt offering and the drink offering thereof. And so this is one place where we can see that that under the law of Moses, the Jews were required not to not to worship only on the Sabbath days and, and not to worship only during these special feast occasions, but but every month there was a gathering. Every every new moon there was to be a gathering. It was a time of it was a time of worship. It was a time of fellowship. If you looked at Numbers chapter 10, uh, you could see something very similar here, just a little more briefly. In Numbers chapter 10, in verse number 10, the Bible says, Also in the day of your gladness and in your set feasts and in the beginnings of your months, that's the new moon, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, listen to it, And they shall be to you for a memorial before your God. I am Jehovah, your God. God required the people to come together for worship, but but he required them to come together specifically as a time of memorial. This is the new moon that that David has in his mind. And he says, tomorrow is this occasion of the new moon and, and I'm going to miss it. And that's weighing on his conscience. I'm supposed to be there. Apparently there was an opportunity for for David to sit and feast with the king on this occasion. It was uh, apparently not merely a matter of a, a vertical relationship with God. I'm gathering to worship my God. And, and David knew that, and, but apparently there was something more to it because on this occasion, apparently Saul hosted people at his table so that God's people could gather together with him. There was a, a horizontal relationship that was important as well. David says, I've got a seat at the king's table and it's going to be empty. And that's weighing on his conscience, even under the circumstances where he knows that Saul wants to wants to kill him. David, a man after God's own heart, he took something like this quite seriously, being absent from worship, being absent from the fellowship with God's people on this occasion. For him, it was not a small matter. The idea of being absent, it apparently, it apparently weighed on him. He had his concerns. Yes, he did. He also had a conscience toward God that... That helped him to feel he had an obligation to be with God's people, to worship with God's people when God called for it, and to spend some time in fellowship with them on the occasion. I want you to think for a moment about his uh, consideration. I want, and by that I mean to say his being considerate under the circumstances. Saul wanted to kill David. Who among us would blame him if he simply absconded, if he fled town, if he sort of got little and out of the way so that uh, he would be safe? Who among us would think that that would be inappropriate? But, but even under all these circumstances, David is very considerate about what others might think of his absence. And so he says to Jonathan in verse number 6, if your father missed me at all, you notice that he's not thinking only about what God will think. God knows the circumstances. He he's well aware of why David might not be there. He knows about the relationship between Saul and David. But but he says, if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly, David begged me to leave for he, for him so that he could go and run to Bethlehem, his city, for it is the yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If your if your father wants to know why I'm not there then you tell your father I'm I'm out of town and I'm I'm worshiping with my family. I don't want him to think I just ran out on the worship. You tell him I'll be somewhere else worshiping with my family because it's a special time and a special occasion for us this time of year. He was he was quite thoughtful. Quite considerate under all these circumstances. I want to suggest to you that these uh, circumstances are important because David was not the kind of person who would simply not be in worship when he could be there. That wasn't the kind of person he was. He was a man after God's own heart. He, he enjoyed occasions to, to worship God and to be in the company of, of God's people. You remember in Psalm 122 and 1, he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He wasn't the kind of man who would have been absent if he could have helped it. So the circumstances are important, but but I want you to think about something else. It's not just the circumstances that are important. The suggestions that would have been made by his empty seat, that's what lies behind his feeling the need to give an explanation. Uh, In thinking about something like this, I'd ask you to to ponder this thought. An empty seat says a whole lot. An empty seat without a human being in it, an empty seat without life, without breath, says a a great deal. David was aware of that, and that's part of the reason that he that he wanted to make sure that he gave explanation for his absence to Jonathan and if need be to, to his king. Some of the things that I see that could be suggested by David's empty seat, I want to spend some time thinking with you about. Before we do that, I'm not going to read it all to you right now, but in this chapter, you can see that beginning in verse number seven and going on through verse number 17, David and Jonathan have some discussion about his safety. They have some discussion about their relationship, their love for one another, and, and they have some discussion about, about how things should be handled under all these circumstances. But, but then having done all of that, if you look at verse number 18, David has told Jonathan he won't be there, and he's he's explained to Jonathan why he won't be There. Look at Jonathan's response to what he's heard from his brother in verse 18. His brother by covenant. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. Tomorrow is a day of corporate worship, it is a day of celebrating. It is a day of fellowship with God's people. Your absence, he says, matters. I don't want you to think for one moment that it won't be noticed. You are going to be missed. David thought that this was an important occasion. David understood that that his absence was meaningful and significant. And Jonathan thought and felt the very same way. The absence of even one man from the king's table was was not a light thing. It was not the kind of thing that would be missed. It was not the kind of thing that would be overlooked. David understood that and so did his brother by covenant. David and Jonathan were concerned about his empty seat because they knew that an empty seat would send a message And they knew without explanation every message that would be sent by the empty seat. Every message was a negative one. See, it would have been possible that uh, David was absent because he was experiencing some kind of personal problem. It would have been possible that, that David was not going to be in his seat because he was ill or maybe it was possible that his wife was ill or maybe it was possible that his son or his children were ill or, or had been injured. You know, Saul would likely have understood if if David's uh, wife was, was not in good health, if David wasn't there because, well, after all, David had married his daughter. He he have understood if David had to attend to some illness or some injury for his children because after all, those would have been Solomon's, uh, Saul's grandchildren. But friends, if David was not there, one of the implications of that may well have been, listen, there is something wrong with David. There is something amiss with his family. I tell you, I'm not just making that up. I'm not just pulling that out of thin air Later, when the time for the meal came and went, and David was not present, if you look down with me for just a moment in verse 25, the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon the seat by the wall, and Jonathan stood up, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spoke not anything that day. He didn't, he didn't say anything about it, for he thought something has befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Listen, Saul noticed the empty seat that first day and he thinks to himself, listen, something must be wrong. David's not the kind of guy who would just run out on this occasion. He's not the kind of guy who would simply not show up because he's got something better to do. There must be something wrong with him. I'm just saying uh, the empty seat, it was going to say something. And one of the things that it could say was that there is some kind of personal problem. Saul had that thought. Something must have befallen him. Could be that an empty seat suggests some kind of social problem. David was not going to be the only person to uh, gather with Saul at his table. You know, on this occasion, it would have certainly been Saul there and David would have been there. But as you can see from the text, there were others. And so it's possible that that an empty seat could suggest if everything is okay with you personally, if if there's no emergency, if there's no great problem in your household, then maybe the problem is you have a difficulty with some of the others who will be gathered at the table. You know, it's hard to sit down and and break bread and enjoy fellowship with people you don't like or respect. And so if you choose to absent yourself, uh, one of the, messages that could be sent, David understood was, well, were there some problem between you and some of the others who might gather at the table? Under these circumstances, we know for a fact that there was a social problem. There was a, there was a problem between David and Saul. Uh, and ultimately, of course, Saul acknowledges that. If you look at the same chapter in chapter 20, David has, uh, Saul has asked his son, Jonathan, about David's absence and Jonathan gives sort of the pre-agreed upon excuse And, and look at how Saul responds in verse number 30 then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said unto him you son of a perverse rebellious woman do not I know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and unto the shame of your mother's nakedness for as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me for he shall surely die. Listen, there was a social problem. Saul was well aware, but by the empty seat, it let Saul know that David was aware too. David was uh, cognizant of all of this. He knew his empty seat was going to send some kind of message Maybe there's a personal problem. Maybe there's some kind of social problem with with David and the others who might gather at the table. Could be that there was going to be a spiritual problem, though, that hindered him. You remember in verse 26, Saul says, he is unclean. Surely Surely he is unclean. I mean, there's a spiritual reason that he's not here. Something has happened, Uh, maybe something has uh, fallen upon him so that he is ceremonially unclean, unfit to be here. And that first day, that entered into Saul's mind, and that was a satisfactory explanation in his mind. And so he didn't press the matter the first day. David thought it was significant for him to not be present even under the circumstances it weighed on his conscience and he was considerate enough to inform his brother who would also be there that he wasn't going to be there in advance. He let him know in advance, he wasn't going to be there and he explained to him why so that people didn't have to guess about what was going on. And he did not think it remarkable that the king might wonder about his presence. And so he made sure to give a message to his brother that could be given to the king when the king asked about it. It was important to him and it was important to Jonathan. Jonathan made sure he knew, listen, tomorrow is tomorrow is a day of worship. It's a day of it's a day of celebration. It's a day of fellowship. Your seat's going to be empty. And I want to make sure you know you're going to be missed. It was important to him. And, of course, it did not escape Saul's notice. That first day that David wasn't there, Saul sort of noticed it, but he didn't make too much of it. But that second day that he wasn't there, Saul asked his son, Wherefore, why doesn't the son of Jesse take meat at my table. Why isn't David here? Now listen, that first day I was willing to kind of, I was willing to kind of accept that there must be some legitimate explanation, but you know what? That second day, I need to know this. I I need to know exactly what's going on here because, you know, that second day of not being here, that suggests that the problem was not some kind of fleeting problem. There's something going on and I need to know exactly what it is. The first day it wasn't an emergency. But that second day, see, that second absence, Saul thought, well, there needs to be an explanation. And I need to know what it is. A lot of messages can be sent by an empty seat without a legitimate explanation, without a legitimate excuse. See, every message that's sent by an empty seat was negative. And all these men knew that. I want, to, I want to make some observations with you. See, because you look at this and, and you think, well, I mean, you know, that was the Old Testament and we don't live in Old Testament times. So. Well, that was an earthly king and we're never going to be invited to an earthly king's table. Surely there's no earthly king who's out to kill us in particular, so I maybe I don't have to be concerned about my life being on the line if I showed up to a particular meal and so forth. So what does all that have to do with us? Well, I, I just want to suggest that there may be some, there may be some parallels that are worth that are worth thinking about and thinking about kind of carefully. You see, there were some some circumstances for David's empty seat, and there were some suggestions that would emanate from his empty seat. And I want you just to think about this for just a moment. There are some suggestions that that flow from, from our empty seats. If our seats, when it's time for the church to gather and worship, are empty, friends, I just don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. It says something. It always says something. And we should never ignore that fact. Like these great men of old, I'm just just thinking that we should be sensitive to our seats being empty during times of worship and times of fellowship that surround our worship. No, we don't gather because it's the new moon. We don't gather because a new month begins. We don't meet on the Sabbath and we don't meet to celebrate any particular feast the way the Jews did. But you know what? We do gather on the first day of the week. We, we do gather specifically as a time of memorial and as a time of worship. We do gather and in our gatherings it does include times of fellowship with others who are part of God's family. Our gatherings on the first day of the week include times of gathering around the king's table. No, not an earthly king, but the king of all kings. No, not not an earthly lord, but the lord of all lords invites us to his table each and every week. I, I'd imagine it was a real privilege. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a real privilege to, to be able to eat at Saul's table or to eat at any king's table. How much greater a privilege is it for us to sup at, at the table of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I'm just saying to you there are some parallels and like David, we ought to be very conscientious about ever being absent from these special occasions. I'm, I'm saying to you that when God ordains that something be done, we we ought to make sure that if it is at all within our powers that we do it. When he says, listen, I want my people to gather to worship me at this particular occasion, I want to make sure that they come together to remember me and what I have done. Listen, I'm saying to you, we ought to do everything in our power to make sure we're a part of that. That's what God wants. We ought to make sure we do everything In our power to give him what he desires of us. God has expectations about our assembly. He does. And it is wholly appropriate for us to have expectations of one another when it comes to our assembly. Yes, it is. In Hebrews 10, I know you know this very well, but in Hebrews 10... Verses 24 and 25, the Bible tells us, listen, that we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But listen, we ought to be assembling as much as we can, he says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It ought to be important. It ought to be a priority. God expects it to be a priority, and there may be some who do not prioritize it. But the Hebrew writer says, but we ought not to be the kind of people who do not prioritize it. It ought to be a priority. God has expectations, and we ought to have expectations. It's vertical. Yes, it is, but it's also horizontal, isn't it? There is a strong social communal aspect to gathering together to worship our God. Whatever the concern might possibly be that could keep one away from the assembly, I'm just suggesting that we ought to be conscientious and we ought to be considerate enough to communicate to others in advance if we're not going to be there. It should not be the case that, that people begin to wonder, well, well, what happened to this one? Or what happened to that one? And no one knows. Listen, we ought to expect that we will be missed and we ought to communicate in advance so that people know why we aren't here or we aren't there. An empty seat always says something. Without legitimate explanation, it always says something negative. For example, an empty seat could possibly suggest that the absent saint is having some kind of personal problem. There is some illness, there is some infirmity. And you know what? At some time or another, we all get ill. We all have some kind of infirmity. And on those occasions, it could be significant enough that we cannot assemble. You know what? That happens. But the empty seat tells us that. It tells us that there's something that's not quite right. It could tell us that a family member is in some kind of great distress. It could tell us that a person got a flat tire on the way to services and were hindered sort of in a way that was outside of their control. It could tell us that. But it does tell us something, and it may tell us that there's some kind of personal, personal problem, a person is physically unable to attend. I once knew a brother. He's died and gone on to his reward, but he was an older man up into his 70s. He only had one leg. He had other kinds of physical problems as well, but he only had the one leg, and he used crutches to get around. It took him a lot longer to prepare to attend an assembly than it takes most of us even those of us who are older because of the physical ailments that he had but he never missed a service he was the first one there sometimes we sometimes we're not well and we can't be here but sometimes Sometimes we can be here even when maybe we think we can't. But I'm just suggesting to you it says something. It may tell us there's some kind of a personal problem. An empty seat potentially suggests that the absent saint may be having some kind of social problem as well. You know, I have talked with people sometimes over the years and uh, they tell me, you know, I'm not coming to... I'm not coming to Bible class on Wednesday night because I don't like the person who's teaching the Bible class, things like that. Well, you know, I'll come to services if this guy is preaching, but I'm not coming to services if that other guy is preaching because that other guy didn't return an email or something one time that I sent him, and so I just don't care for that guy very much. I'm just saying to you that that empty seat says something. Now, listen, if there is a legitimate explanation for why a person isn't here, a legitimate explanation could be like the one that David gave. Listen, I'm going to be out of town worshiping with God's people in another place. Understand, that's fine. But sometimes it does not say that. And if that's not the case, there may be a social problem. You know, people, this is a big enough auditorium that people can sort of head out of a door to make sure they avoid people that they don't care for quite as much. But some people can't even make it to the building because of the social difficulties they sometimes have. An empty seat can tell us that. Sometimes an empty seat demonstrates there's an empty heart, a heart that is void of, that is void of compassion and love for the brethren, A heart that does not rejoice in the fellowship and care of the church. A heart that is not compelled to try at all times to encourage other people. Familiarity and fellowship are a natural part of gathering together at a common table. And if there are social issues amongst people, that hinders their assembly. An empty seat could suggest that a saint is having some kind of spiritual problem. Listen, I don't want to make too much of this, but I do want to say this. One of the first signs of straying spiritually is an absent seat, an empty seat. That's one of the first signs that somebody is not doing very well spiritually. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. Somebody could be struggling with their faith. They have a weak faith and they're not all that inclined to do what is necessary to strengthen their faith. But an empty seat can say a lot spiritually. It may tell us that a person has a weak faith. It could tell us that that a person is not getting something important, at least they don't perceive it, out of the corporate worship services. I've talked with people many times who've said things to me like, I don't get anything out of the services. Well, listen, it may actually be true that they're not getting anything out of the services. That may actually be true. But we've got to ask ourselves, why? Now, it may be that the services are not very robust, the services are not very orderly, right? The people are not conducting themselves in the assembly the way that they should. That's all possible. But most likely it's because they aren't putting something in to the services, that they should be putting in. If you don't put the right things in, you're not going to get the right things out. When a person says to me, I'm not getting, the, getting anything out of the services, then I ask them, what are you putting into the services? I'm only saying to you, there is potentially a problem there that should be thought about and that should be redressed. Spiritual problem. It's hard sometimes to live a life of riot, a life of sin, and then assemble on Sundays like everything is fine. And so sometimes, because uh, as a matter of conscience, a person knows that they're not right with God, and so they choose to absent themselves rather than assemble. There are all kinds of things we could say in this regard. I'm just saying to you that without an adequate explanation, an empty seat says there's something wrong. There could be a personal problem, a social problem, or a spiritual problem, just like there was in David's day. Empty seats often convey uh, negative messages. At the same time, a seat that is filled with your body and your spirit sends very positive messages. When I look at the Bible, it tells me that we ought to make it our business to be here. And when, and when you're in your seat during a time of corporate worship, a time of corporate study, when, when you're in your seat, it sends a very positive message because it says you've done everything in your power to be here. Let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works in Hebrews chapter 10. Upon the first day of the week, the Bible says, let every one of us lay by and store so that we can give to support the work of our Lord. Now that tells me they were gathering on the first day of the week and someone who shows up with the express purpose in their mind, the design to give back to support the work of the Lord. That is a very positive message and that shows how much they care about the Lord's work. The Bible tells me in Acts 20 and 7, when Paul was in Troas, he stayed there the seven days, and he worshiped with the saints on that seventh day. It was important for him to, to worship with the local saints there, and they communed to remember Jesus Christ. See, when we're in our seats, that, that, that helps us to, to affirm, to demonstrate publicly. It sends a message that, that remembering Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that's very important to us. When we're in our seats, like David said, it sends a message that we were glad when they said that we should come and go to the house of our Lord. It is a privilege to be a part of God's family. It's just a great privilege to assemble with people of like precious faith and to be able to to worship God together and to enjoy the fellowship that comes with being in the presence of others who want to worship God. And I know, and we're not trying to in this lesson to sort of go through all the various things that could be justified occasions why people cannot be present. I know that there certainly are some. But, you know, over the years in talking to people, by the time they get through explaining to me all the things that God understands about them not being present, I sort of get the idea that if they had been invited to that last Passover with Jesus in the upper room, they'd have had an excuse for not being there. God expects his people to be present. And he expects his people to arrange their lives in such a way that they will be. And when we are, what great messages it sends? And when we're not, it sends the only other kind of message, all very negative. So the next time someone is trying to kill you, we will understand if you can't make it. We'll understand if you can't make it to be with us here, head up to Birmingham and worship with family there. We understand. But short of that, friends, I just want to encourage you, don't don't ever take your presence too lightly. Your presence is vital. And if your seat is empty, you're missed. You're missed. Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. He died for me. He died for you. And he's the one who says, do this in remembrance of me. You make sure you're here and you make sure you observe this memorial. You gather around my table with other people who also want to remember me. You do this to show my death until I come again. You do this with consistency. You do this with conviction and you do it. He's the one who calls us to assemble. And I guess we'll have to explain it to him ultimately if we have something else to do. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who invites us to come. And we come because we love him and we love one another. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have to make some changes, of course. You repent of your sins. Decide to live your life the way he wants it lived. You confess with your mouth that you do believe in him and you submit to baptism, he'll wash your sins away, usher you into the kingdom so that you can sit at his table. He says, I won't, I won't partake of the fruit of the vine again and take until I take it new with you in my father's kingdom, in the church, in the church. So if you'd like to become a part of his kingdom, if you'd like to sit at his table, we can help you with that. If you